All right, everybody, today's episode is another deep dive into a brand new space that actually has a lot beneath it, but it's a very recently coined term, climate tech, that I think is going to be here for a while. I'm joined by Gustav Ostromer and Diego Saez-Gill. Gustav is a partner at Y Combinator, and Diego is the founder of a company called Pachama. There's health tech, there's fintech, ad tech, prop tech, and now it seems there's climate tech. And these two individuals have helped pioneer this. And we talk about why it is happening now instead of five years ago or five years from now. We talk about whether or not this is something that is here to stay or will it be like clean tech 10 to 15 years ago that that came and went almost as fast as it came. The 2008-2009 financial crisis happened and clean tech went away. We talk about what climate plus technology can look like 10 years from now. We talk about their paths from passion to profession within this realm. And we talk about the early days of people thinking, in Diego's case, that his idea was basically a nonprofit and not a very fundable business. Or thinking that this space was too complicated and too big to try and tackle with small teams of, of dedicated founders. We talk about all of this and more. And I'm really excited about this deep dive into this brand new space of climate tech. Speaking of sustainable energy, Below the Line is brought to you by Magic Mind, the world's first productivity drink. Do you want more creativity, more flow, more energy, and less stress? Do you want to tap into what nature gives us beyond just coffee for all of these things? Go to magicmind.co to get the two-ounce shot that contains 12 magical ingredients that are scientifically designed to improve your productivity. Along with CEOs, doctors, musicians, even Navy SEALs, I take it every day and have been for about six years after a trip to the ER from drinking too much coffee. And it is the single most important part of my morning ritual to do more and stress less. Listeners know that I go to pretty extreme lengths to talk about the science behind sleep, diet, productivity, exercise, everything that is the, the newest and most robust scientifically scrutinized information on these topics and including topics like alternatives to coffee and nootropics, adaptogens, anti-inflammatories, etc. And you can find all of the peer-reviewed research on the ingredients of Magic Mind on the site to learn more. Go to magicmind.co, that's magicmind.co, and enter the promo code BTL for below the line. The promo code BTL to get 15% off and try it for yourself. Below the line is also brought to you by Playcast Media. Do you want the easiest way to set up a professional premium podcast from your home? Go to playcastmedia.com and get their premium podcast in a box delivered right to you. Everything you need for a premium podcast, all the equipment, info that guides you on setting it up, everything you need. Having a professional sound studio in your home or office has never been easier or more straightforward than with Playcast. Go check them out at playcastmedia.com and enter the promo code JAMES. If you dig below the line, we'd love a review. It's how podcast platforms rank and suggest podcasts, so every review matters. And if you're one of the fine folks that have already left a review, it takes only two, three seconds, because you actually don't have to enter four or five sentences anymore. We really appreciate it. We read every single one, and we appreciate every single one. So if you've already given us a review, thank you so much. So without further ado, let's get into it with Gustav and Diego. This is Below the Line. Hey, 
and we are live. Opening up, every one of us, we've got our weird drinks in front of us. I chose Guru Organic Energy. For listeners that have never listened to the show before, we drink a weird drink in every episode. And right now, we've got three weird drinks. I've got Guru Energy, which is organic, sparkling water, and a bunch of other things. Man, a lot of things. What do you got, Diego? I got the booster shot that contains orange, carrot, lemon, turmeric, silver, astragalus, grapefruit seed, and oregano. All right. So it's hopefully good pretty good. Astragalus is good. All right, good stuff. What do you got? I'm on the Cologne, La Cologne Coffee Coconut Mocha. Uh, mocha. La Cologne is actually a great coffee brand. I think they're out of New York, and I used to subscribe to their coffee, so it's a good choice. Yeah, I haven't had the canned version, but it's... Uh, it looks really, really good. And yeah, they take their stuff seriously. So, okay, we got the drinks out of the way. We can check back in to see how our drinks are agreeing with us or, or not in a little bit. But now that we've got that out of the way, I am really excited to talk with both of y'all about, you know, this is one of these deep dive episodes where we go into one topic pretty deeply instead of kind of broad story or background of a, a founder or, or creator of some sort. So this is going to go deeply into climate tech and the intersection of climate change and climate challenges and technology. So I'm really excited to chat with each of you about this. Diego, listeners might know, Diego's on the podcast previously in uh, something that I never, I, Gustav, I was telling you a little bit, I never heard anything like this before, but I thought it could be interesting for listeners to do a podcast recording of him pitching me as an investor. And this was last year when we recorded it. We only released it maybe four or five weeks ago. Yeah. But uh, it was really cool. It was pretty good, yeah. Yeah, you, you pitched me on, on Pachama. Um, I was not an investor. I really didn't know much uh, about it, but you pitched me on it. We recorded it and didn't edit at all. Yeah. We just put it out there. We did wait six months. You asked me to wait six months to put it out there, but we put it out there. For listeners, a little follow-up is I did invest in Pachama, <laughs> and I'm super, super excited that I uh, got the chance to meet you. Likewise, and, man. And invest. And... So that's a little follow-up from that last episode. And Gustav, we worked together at Airbnb and at Tilt. We had you come by and and help with all kinds of growth things at Tilt. And you're now Y Combinator and one of the smartest thinkers when it comes to growing any type of platform or marketplace. So really, you know, Voxer before that. So any type of app, a very, very savvy growth thinker that has a really strong penchant for uh, passion around climate change as well. And so you and I have never chatted about this topic, but I'm really excited to actually combine your two your two passions, thinking through the growth and, and impact of technology and, and climate change. So really excited to chat with both of you all. First question is, I think just setting the stage would be how both of you started to think deeply. How, when, where did you start to think deeply about climate change and climate challenges before we get to kind of where we are today? Sure. Um, I guess in my case, I remember the first time that I uh, read and went deep into climate change was when I was finishing college. I was still in Argentina, uh, early 2000s. And I remember being depressed for two weeks <laughs> after reading the in all the scenarios in terms of, you know, sea level rising and, you know, fires on the forest. And, and what year was this? I think it was probably 2006. Mm. Yeah. 
And then, you know, I, well, I went to do my master's in, in Barcelona. Then I came to the U.S., started my first company, and in a way kind of, you know, started focusing on, on just my career. And always in the back of my mind was climate change, the way that we are treating our planet. And only had the chance to revisit the topic deeply was after my last company got acquired, uh, which we talked a little bit in the previous podcast uh, about what happened. But I all of a sudden had time to do research deeply and went back to reading about climate change. And, and what year was this? This was 2016. Mm. And things were much worse 10 years later, uh, unfortunately. And started getting really, really worried. And then as I was in an in-between jobs period, I started thinking, well, maybe I can start a company to try to, to do something around it. So that led me into looking at all the causes of climate change and all the possible solutions. And we can talk about that. But that's when I, you know, really started, you know, paying attention to how technology could have an impact on solving climate change. And when I went to, you know, at the time, actually, I had met Gustav with my previous company in YC. I had office hours with you. You probably don't remember me because from, from that moment, because there were hundreds of uh, I was founders. upset at YC because they were too short. All the office hours <laughs> were booked for, I think, 20 minutes, which is embarrassing for me. Right. <laughs> and what year was that when you first met? Uh, I think it was... 2015 when I was doing YC mm. with the with my previous company. But after that, I followed you on Twitter. And then I saw that you were tweeting a lot about climate change. And I was like, okay, this guy is also thinking very similarly the way I'm thinking. So I reached out to you and we talk about it. So with that, I pass the ball to you. Mm. Um, so I grew up in Sweden. I, I, I'm sure that that had a core, like that was core to how you view the world on climate. And I thought a lot about why does some countries feel more advanced than others in terms of the general public acceptance around climate change, because Sweden certainly feels very different than the United States and has been for the last 10 years. What uh, are some of the the key ways in which, when you say that out loud, what do you think about in, in your head and how it's key differences between the two? Um, I think there is a public, public conscience around sort of like, what is climate change? What is it doing to our planet? Um, and I think there is even some individual action that here in the US we don't understand that only can come from a place like Sweden. So domestic airplane travel went down by 10% in the last year. And that is purely because people do not want to fly because it impacts wow. climate change. It's hard to even imagine something like that in the United States. Mm -hmm. That's just like an, one example of how different the country is. I think one of the difference, difference that make a country get to that place is do they actually have a lot of fossil fuel or not? Mm -hmm. If a company, country have a lot of fossil fuel, and if you look at Europe, Coal is still in Germany and Poland, and 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 Poland is still the and Russia. Those are the two number one sort of like countries that are opposed to the change that we have to make. Mm -hmm. Versus almost everybody else is agreeing. Mm -hmm. uh, most of Western Europe ran out of coal <laughs> long time ago, mm -hmm. so we don't really have fossil fuels. We import them from somewhere else. So I think what that did to parts of Europe, especially Sweden, which is uh, a grid that's purely uh, hydropower and nuclear, made people. When they come to a new country and they realize that all the energy here is gas or coal, or when you turn on your car or your, your stove, fossil fuel comes out. I think it's just something that is makes you aware. So that was sort of like this, the, the thing I would say is if you come from one of those countries, then things will feel different when you come to the United States. The second thing, I read this book in the early 2000 called Six Degrees by Mark Linus, who 
probably to me appeared to be the, one of the first pragmatics, pragmatic person that came out of coming out of sort of like the uh, sustainability movement. He wasn't someone. Six who, Degrees? Is the name Six of the Degrees book? by Mark Linus, I think. L Y N E S or A S, I forgot. And what year was it that, that you read the book? I think he came out with a book in like 2002, 2003, is my guess. And I read it. Um, and it, called six degrees and there's literally i mean this story has been told many times what happens at one two three four five six degrees warming of a planet like that's math and i and you read the book and you understand you're like these are inevitable things uh, not inevitable but they are if the the emissions continue um the consequences are, are inevitable it's like imminent yeah imminent six degrees it's not it is not uh a you know weather change in your you know backyard from 70 to 90 that needs yeah. to to cause these and i think um so, so what i love about sweden is also so like there's there's a piece missing which is i'm not sure if pure individual action is going to change the entire system mm -hmm. uh, certainly not in countries where fossil fuel is kind of like um core, both in a big part of the economy and and and, and sort of like other things so when I, I came here to the us especially here to silicon valley and i noticed that technology can actually change this um i started getting interested in in, in sort of like this might be the best place to be um, to make an impact. And technology got us into this mess. So I'm pretty sure technology would get out of this mess. And I always give this example. The ozone hole used to be a really big, scary thing back mm -hmm. in 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. We didn't stop using fridges and freezes to fix it. We just changed technology. Mm -hmm. And it's not fully fixed yet, but it's on a really good path. And it's one of those really good examples where the world came around around the problem not too different than climate than um, co2 emissions and we use technology to fix it like binding international contracts changing the aerosols of the way that we co cool our f um, food and kind of worked mm -hmm. so i'm pretty optimistic do yeah. you do you mind giving listeners a breakdown of what you remember from the six degrees of the things that that happened just to further illustrate the the imminence and and you know destructive power of of so I think, uh, if I remember correctly here, um, I think he basically talks about what the science knew at the time, um, which has been known for quite some time, sort of like what are the potential consequences at each degree warming the planet's going through. And I think the time scale in that book was probably off by, by some time, but the actual sort of like what could happen was not off. And the thing that struck me about this issue compared to most other issues is that this is potentially irreversible versus many things mm -hmm. in politics or in society. If it goes like a war, wars end, luckily they do end. And many other things that are bad inside to do end. This might not end. There might be a tipping point, but it might not end. And everything is outside of our control. Mm -hmm. So that makes to me this issue different than many others. And, and I wanna go into one of my next questions for each of you will be uh, around I think there's something interesting around the fact that both of you aren't from the US. And and this has become, climate tech has become this phrase that, that people are using um, quite frequently right now in the last, especially the last three, four months. I just feel like it's become kind of like the no code movement. It's become this hip area that everybody's looking at from, uh, from an investment standpoint, from an entrepreneurial standpoint. But there's something really interesting about both of you all, both of you two not being from the U.S. And, and I want to ask about that. But before we get to that, do you mind also either of you setting the stage for how imminent um, and consequential we might be in 2020 for the person that's in their car driving to their 30 minute commute 
in Tulsa, Oklahoma, not thinking about climate change, just worrying about paycheck to paycheck. What are some of the backdrop visualizations or examples that for you, Diego, made you depressed for two weeks and then mm -hmm. pursue this uh, 10 years later? Or Gustav, the things that you think about that you're like, this shit is very real. What are some of those things that come to mind? Well, I think that we are seeing already the effects of climate change. Climate change 10 years ago was something that was going to happen. Now it's happening. And you can see it on you can see it on the on the, ter on the thermostat of your house, but you can also see it on the droughts that are happening in many places, the fires. You know, we saw it in Australia, we saw it in the Amazon, we can see it in hurricanes, we can see it in floods. A lot of these uh, natural disasters are actually a consequence of how the entire system is changing. You know, when you look also at how clouds and winds and oceans, currents are uh, moving, uh, and we can see today thanks to satellites, uh, they're changing. They're changing in ways that are changing the weather of many places. And, you know, I, I was reading actually last week about Miami. The water system is actually failing. Uh, so before Miami uh, and, and certain parts of Florida get underwater, the water systems that people used to drink water are going to fail, right? So it is scary in that it's already happening. And unfortunately, there are many natural disasters that will happen that cannot be stopped at this point. Um, and I think that, that is part of what is making us all wake up, right? That the fact that you can already see the effects. You can see the glaciers melting. Uh, there's a big uh, a part of the Antarctica that actually uh, fell off uh, also a couple of weeks ago. Not many people are paying attention to it. And it's actually these type of things that many people don't want to look at. It's like, I, I'd rather don't, don't read about that, right? Well, in, in your but, experience, you were depressed for two weeks, but then what happened yeah, after that? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, one gets over with life. That's the thing about climate change. It's such a global issue that until we have it in front of us, uh, sometimes it's very easy to forget about it. Uh, it's like the frog uh, dying slowly inside of the boiling oh, water, yeah, right? right. So that's why I think it's so you know, positive that finally we are all, this is entering the mainstream conversation. But you know, these are some of the things that I mark as uh, clear evidence, even for you know, people who for, many, you know, for a long time might have thought that it was just a hoax or, or, you know, or, or a story. You know? mm. uh, I think one of the mistakes that the political candidates are doing is that they talk about climate change as something that is somewhere far where there's ice. And they're not talking about it where the impacts normal people. And the impact in California was felt very clearly last five years in terms of the forest fires. Mm. California's entering a drought again right now. But I think the good news for us is we probably have the money to do some level of adaptation that we can not live the lives we've done before, but with lots of money, we can at least live decent lives. Um, majority of people that get impacted by climate change can't afford that. And they live in places where the food system will be so impacted, they will literally run out of food because the seasons change so much and, and just unexpected consequences of weather change leads to disasters. The other way that that will impact the rich world is sort of like the consequence of natural disasters tend to be things that impact us anyway, whether that is refugees or war um, or a number of things that we're unaware of. So I think uh, the mistake we're doing when we talk about climate change is to not talk about something that's local. If you talk about the flooding, mm -hmm. talk about the hurricanes, talk about forest fires, then it's easier for people to understand, I think. That was the benefit of talking about the ozone layer and the whole of it feeling like everybody 
was like, oh my God, it's cancer for everyone if we don't figure this out right now. And I know what skin cancer is like because of so-and-so down the streets, father hat, like it was yep. something that felt very local. And it's something, one of the things that that really, when I look back, probably the most, one of the most anchoring experiences around, around taking this more seriously was uh, I used to live in Cape Town for a few years. And when, when they were days away from, this is about a year ago, days away from no water. And there was an, it wasn't like, and here are these three backups that aren't as good, but days away from not having water. And, and it's, it is a developing country, but it's a very developed city within that country that is having to ration out uh, showers, waters, or, or you know, watering your, your garden showers, uh, the amount of water that you would consume. People are waiting in lines. It was a very brief moment, but a pretty dystopic view in, into what the next 20 years is probably going to have for many cities around the world. Whether we get our shit together or not, it's still going to happen for many cities. I think that uh, we take for granted uh, civilization as it is, as something that works and always will work. Actually, it's incredibly uh, fragile. We saw it, you know, with electricity here, PG&E, a couple of months ago, right? We were right. Uh, out of power, right? And you know, I think that uh, Joe Rogan has a really good, uh, you know, stand-up uh, talk about this: the fact that you know th things can collapse very quickly, and there's not going to be enough engineers to fix things up, you know, in time, right? So. And in fact, part of mitigation to climate change is making systems more resilient. We can talk about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's we are starting to see uh, this even in, in developed, even in California, the, the hub of technology in the world, right? Right. And to touch on what Gustav's saying, that you know, the forest fires in the last few years have been pretty uh, rampant and and uh, terrifying, but it's it hasn't been during a drought. Right, which is even scarier to think about, uh, especially with the drought. And, and that I think the new thing about forest fires is that they are massive beyond our ability to stop them. So I think you saw that in Australia this year, last year, in that it doesn't really matter. There's nothing you can really do to stop them. You have to just like light a new fire to like burn off the the fuel, so that will stop it. Mm. You can't stop a fire of that magnitude, and that is new and scary. Mm. No. Well, one of the things that I, I mentioned I wanted to chat about is, so at this table, I'm the lone American. We have a Swede, we have an Argentinian. Uh, why is America so late to this party of thinking about these things? I actually think it has to do with the economic interest. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like I'm, I'm sort of conspiracy theorist, but I do think that that um, um, the the this country has been a producer and now is a net, net exporter of oil. Right. Um, and a lot of the economy of this country was built around coal and oil and has been that for a long time. And if you look back at energy production, even like um, 10, 15 years ago, it was mostly coal. So this country have a, a history of both a lot of money, a lot of jobs, and a lot of wealth being created um, from fossil fuel. So I think that's sort of like one backdrop to this country. Um, in, in Sweden, in contrast, doesn't have that? Is that correct? So it's almost like Sweden does not have oil, does not have coal, coal, and does not use really use fossil fuel to produce either oil or coal. It does have a car company, um, but besides that, it's not as ingrained, I think, and there are less 
there are very few financial interests that have any power in Sweden that would sort of like, I mean, there might be that car company and the airline, but but besides that, there isn't a ton of like financial interest that sort of like pushes a different different agenda in mm-hmm. that country. And I think there's some other countries in Europe that are similar to that. Versus in the US, I think it's very clear that there's a there's a strong agenda that has been pushed, pushed for a long time. And I think that can happen in many different ways, but not just in the political world. I think it happens sort of like in, um, if you watch the movie Who Killed the Electric Car, <laughs> might be an example of like sort of like the, U.S. have had the best innovation and some of the best engineers in the world for a long time, but still there was perhaps some financial interest to why some things did not actually happen here. Right. Uh, but it eventually did happen uh, once once sort of like the interest turn uh, and Tesla is, is from California, like it is from here. So that might be one reason why U.S. is different. I haven't thought too much about it, but th- that would be the one that I would think about. Uh, yeah, and I think it, it definitely, um, I think you so don't even have tr- to be This is true for Canada. This is true for Australia. Really, like it's 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 not it's hard to run for office in those two countries and and say we're going to have the new grant the green new deal like it, it is equally challenging I think as it is in the U.S. Right. Well, and I, you know, you mentioned conspiracy, but I doubt it's it, you don't even have to go to that that length to just say okay, self interest. It's it's one of the most powerful forces in humanity to protect self interest and and if it's in people's perceived self interest. To double check those research studies now, triple check them now. Go back and quadruple check. I don't. I still don't know. Well, let's go like quintuple check all of the the data that you're throwing us because people's livelihoods really depend on the data or the research or the insights being different. And then you have a place like Sweden, or I'm interested in hearing for Argentina, where maybe these conversations are just a little more free flowing because it's not so sensitive to people's livelihoods. Yeah. Industries. Another theory about uh, the U.S. I would say is the fact that if you look at uh, post Second War America, uh, it was driven, you know, like the, the model of America was driven by growth of uh, oil production, car productions, consumption. That was the way that America was going to become the leader of the world, and it, it did, right? So. It requires Inf- infrastructure and uh, yeah. real estate that all depends on automobiles being able to, you know, yeah. a sprawl, a city sprawl, live and 40 minutes away. Not a big deal. Yeah. We're going to create the infrastructure for you to be able to drive and to presidents work each day. will say, you know, in their speeches, the best way to help America is to buy more things, is to mm-hmm. go and, and grow the economy. My mom go, really believed that yeah, in like 2005, yeah. 2006, maybe it, was, maybe it was like 2002 after World Trade Center, she's like... We need to buy things. Right. We need to support that was the, message the economy until, right. until now. And 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 I think so it will require for Americans really a big shift of paradigm, right? That uh, is difficult to do, right? I'll say in Argentina, climate change is not a central topic as it is in Sweden. I think it's because Argentina, we're still trying to figure out some more basic <coughs> stuff. Inflation, poverty, debt of the country, those are the central topics. But there is... You know, I think South America has always been connected to nature. You know, we have still uh, a lot of nature around us and we have the heritage of the indigenous people of South America that were very connected to nature. So I think it comes more from from that, from connection to the land. But yeah, unfortunately, I do hope that Argentina and other places in South America, which will suffer a lot actually from climate change, um, wake up more. You know, Brazil, for example, Brazil, and Peru and Colombia, holders of the Amazon rainforest, such an important part of the solution to climate change. Unfortunately, are electing presidents like Bolsonaro that you know don't care. About, not only don't care, don't believe in climate change, 
uh, are sending people to to cut down the Amazon. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's not the U.S. the only place where, uh, unfortunately, climate change is not a central topic yet. Mm-hmm. And yeah, no, I I always try to avert from the browbeating of of just this is what everyone should think should do when you have countries that are massive net polluters like China that are also bringing hundreds of millions in my uh, background in studying uh, development economics that bring hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. There are these hierarchy of needs, Mm. but we also have 2 billion people living in developed regions around the world to where we can say, okay, we have satisfied these hierarchy of needs. Now we can do these things much smarter, much better and, and much more sustainably, which is so great that the U.S. has gone from not thinking about this 20 years ago to now being a central topic. I, we can talk about the the progress that needs to be made all day long, but in 20 years, it has gone from Leonardo DiCaprio's talking about this with Al Gore to uh, this fringe topic to a central topic to so many people yeah. in you know two decades, and and that is remarkable and it's great. I I want to jump into the climate meets technology piece why has it become so big in the last at least from the investor perspective or if people look up climate tech you know we have we've had health tech and fintech and ag even agriculture tech and ad tech for years now uh you google the word climate tech and came out of nowhere like five months ago why is now in y'all's minds why do you think now people are looking at it more seriously and not five years ago or five years from now that's a good question, and I think it could have happened a couple of years ago too. Um, but I think the the big realization is the inevitability that we have to make a change. So once you've figured out, okay, we are emitting too much, we're going to have to change that. It's going to happen pretty soon, and a lot of the populations are on board. Some of the politicians are on board. We're telling in many cities around the world an end date for combustion engine cars. Like that's a signal to the economic world that. There's, there's like, there's the wave is coming. The second thing is the financial opportunity. It is enormous. The amount of investments that we have to do in all kinds of things, a lot of hardware, a lot of systematic change in society, but also a lot of software and, and things that we can do in our world is going to happen. I don't believe that it will be individuals stopping to use these things that will be the primary driver of change. Um, I don't think it will be necessarily politics driving most of the change. I think it'll be drive much much of the change, but not most of it. But I think it'll be company and companies innovating. They'll drive most of the change. And when we know that there's an a large amount of innovation that's needed, investors tend to get excited. And I think what we have yet to seen is sort of like, besides Tesla, some massive examples of companies that you can look to and say, this is an example of what I want to become. But I mean, what is happening with Tesla right now. Right, it's, it's super exciting. Like this is the number one car sold in many countries in the world mm-hmm. and it's an electric car. And like- And the market cap is bigger than every other yeah, American that, that's a, that's uh, car an, company combined. That's an interesting question too. But like yeah. just the fact of just like the the sales of these cars, it's crazy. How uh, much do you think just Tesla as an example has had an impact on going back to self-interest? I, you know, the, the altruism is great, but I feel like there's been a shift in self-interest to your point of this financial opportunity is massive. How much of that- equation you think can go squarely right back to Tesla? Um, I think in the, in, in the transportation, absolutely. I think it, just like showing that you can make a car that's better and that's electric and saying that, but then also getting um, consumers to buy it, just showing those three things, I think told every single car company that there is change coming. And there's one thing to say that we're planning to change everything to electric, 
but they actually turns out to be not as easy. And what people said two years ago, that like we're coming with 50 new models to beat Tesla, so far has not happened. If you look at the percentage of electric cars sold in California and much of Europe, Tesla is the majority. Tesla 3 is the majority of all cars, electric cars sold. Still, when there's many, many models out there, that didn't tend to be the case in the past. So I would argue that it's still pretty far along, pretty far ahead compared to the rest mm -hmm. of the automakers. I think in transportation, Tesla is a really good example of sort of like what we need in every single category. I think potentially in food production, Impossible and Beyond have become, will become those two companies that will set the stage for for everything else that's sort of like produced in an inefficient way. And there are lots of other opportunities in food, not just beef production, but- And it's going back to that self-interest in this, and I'll, I'll you know, I think threading in and, and being really forward to threading in the self-interest part is, is a key part of the equation, knowing that, especially from the development economics realm, just, I just studying that and working in it for years and seeing how far altruism goes versus the argument of self-interest, I think these are, yeah, two, three really great points of Tesla being at a market cap, at least last week, I think it was like 120 billion or something. So larger than every other car manufacturer in the US combined. And Tesla has been around for like 20 minutes compared to the others that have been around for a hundred years. Then you have beyond with a, and I'll, I'll try to correct these in the, the notes if I'm off by figures, but I think Beyond's uh, IPO was like 30 billion or something. It's like I think they were up up to fifteen, and now they're down to like eight or ten, some of that. Okay, but, maybe yeah. it's like thirty bucks. But yeah, okay, so massive, um, so fifteen billion, uh, a massive additional example. Impossible is still private, right? So immense, immense customer demand. I think what they're going for, for those three is making superior products for the market that not just the market that sought out an electric or sought out a vegetarian or plant based option, but the the people that the normal people that, that right. sort of like wasn't thinking about this when they when they bought either those products or the car. Right, they're building superior rather than the best alternative. Yeah, and I, it's uh, that's it's true for all of those. The uh, Impossible Burger is insanely good. And and people and like in terms of in terms of emissions, food uh, agriculture and food production is a massive, massive opportunity and a massive, massive problem. Yeah. And the, um, you know this a lot better than I do, Diego, but yeah. one of the primary reasons why we cut in our rainforest is for beef production. Yeah. And beef production itself is um, probably, first of all, I think people have an inc incorrect view in their head that said, as, as long as I eat grass-fed beef grown in Marin, then everything <laughs> will be fine. The truth is the, that's an unsustainable view of the world on how we're going to consume beef. I think the really only sustainable way to consume beef is to be able to consume plant-based alternatives um, or lab-grown, or which I'm super excited to see see when where that comes when that comes to market. But I think the current way we produce beef is in, uh, both extremely damaging to to the climate and to the environment, and is completely unsustainable. And if you if you think about it, like can the rest of the world actually consume beef this way? Is no, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not even, it's kind of like oil, like running out of land to grow cows on. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. just the truth. Right. And uh, every year in the US, it is it is a great book called Eating Animals. And it it kind of shifted my thinking on, on one, the diet, the, the American diet hasn't really changed in 150 years. It's still, you know, steak, potatoes. And we eat 0.25% of the uh, available food in the world. So there's so much more food out there for us to try for our our 
diets and our and our habits uh, traditions to to shift and change, but they largely haven't. But it also talks about the billions of animals that are just killed every year in the U.S. alone. And I really wish I I could fact check this on the spot because the the number is I'll put it in the the notes. Just the number is astronomical of how many cattle are killed every year for yeah. Uh, I mean, like the, the, I and that's and that's just the humane and, uh, and argument. And absolutely. Not even the, Another the, way to think about it is sort of like what is the energy that goes in to producing right. uh, a pound of beef? Um, and it turns out the cows are extremely inefficient machines, if you think of them in that way, to produce yeah, you the gotta beef. you got to feed them also. you got to feed them, and the efficiency you get out of that is far worse than a combustion engine car. Right. Yeah. It is a really, really inefficient uh, way to produce meat. And producing plant-based is automatic, like we're talking about 10x to 50x more efficiency in many diff other different categories, land use, yeah. water use, energy use. Uh, and I'm really curious to see where the lab-grown uh, right. stuff will go because who knows? Maybe plant-based will be the winner because you, you will we will be able to produce products that are superior um, to meat, and that's what people end up buying. But there's also a way we know we can produce meats meat in lab mm -hmm. um, that has the exact same uh, qualities as as the one that you can get from animals. It's not better. If not better, to if not better, marble I mean, it perfectly. It's like wagyu beef for ten. It certainly cents. doesn't have any antibiotics and stuff like that. Right. But the question now is cost. So I think that's both of these examples: Impossible, Beyond, and Memphis Meat, for example. These are technology companies. These are science-driven companies. The stuff that we do the best here. So that's why I'm really optimistic that things can change. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. To your question in terms of climate tech, uh, I guess first I'm gonna uh, tell you uh, the why, and then the why now uh, as I Please, see yeah. things. I guess the why investors are getting excited is because we are realizing that we are gonna need a transformation of the economy, the way that we do everything at a scale similar or even bigger than the industrial revolution, right? We, ha we have to change the way that we do transportation. We have to change the way that we do agriculture, the way that we produce food. We have to change the way that we move everything around the economy. We do shipping, we do manufacturing, we do energy production, we do everything we do, right? So when you are facing such a transformation, of course, it's full of opportunities, of creation, right? Creation of value. That's what... The first millionaires of America were the Vanderbilts, the JP Morgans, and the Henry Fords were the ones who built the infrastructure of a new economy. So here we're talking about building infrastructure, which this time is not going to be so capital intensive, I hope, uh, of a new civilization. We are facing either we completely redesign civilization as we know it for the 22nd century, or we probably perish, or, or, or this civilization collapses and then we see how you know post-apocalyptic civilization uh, you know emerges, right? So that's the why I think you know smart investors see, wow, we're facing one of the biggest transformations of humanity, such an opportunity for innovation for value creation. The why now I think there was a clean tech space right, right. in early two thousands that had a lot of hype, a lot of capital deployed into, and then it kind of crashed in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. In hand in hand with the financial crisis, right? There was a lot of disillusionment, and then it went quiet for some time. And if you look at the Garner curve of uh, hype, cycle, yeah, hype, Garner, hype, hype cycles cycle, of technology, right. this seems like one, right? In which, okay, now we went through the thorough, the you know, the valley of disillusionment, and now we are again seeing that enough awareness is there on the general public, on politicians, on corporate leaders 
that maybe this time around the opportunity is actually larger. Maybe it was too early, early 2000s. And now maybe all the conditions in the market and in the world might be right for all the promises of the early clean tech uh, revolution to, to actually manifest. And I like that this time around we're, we're calling something different. We're calling it climate tech because it focuses more, more uh, on, on climate, which is a global issue and not clean tech, which is more like a local issue. Mm. And in a way, also it's a rebranding, if you want, that in a way gets people excited again about it. But in a way, I'm also kind of surprised. I remember the first time I went and I talked to you about the idea for Pachama. I was actually with a lot of self-doubt about who was going to fund me, you know? <laughs> I was like, okay, are people going to think that this is a nonprofit? And now all of a sudden, the best VCs in the world are looking at the space and it's just really exciting. Do you mind uh, telling listeners a little bit more about that and, and give the background of, of what Pachama is, but sure. also, yes, what it was like talking about it. And as you started to think about it in 2016, 2017, what it was like talking about it in the early days, yeah. two years ago. So what Pachama is, is a platform that allows corporations and other type of organizations to compensate their carbon emissions by supporting projects that remove carbon from the atmosphere through reforestation or forest conservation, which we validate and monitor using satellite images and machine learning, knowing exactly how much carbon the forest captures and making sure that the projects are doing what they're supposed to do and the money goes to the right hands. That's so what Pachama is. an example would be someone like... Um and again, I am an investor, so just a, a full disclosure. But an example would be someone like Microsoft says, hey, we want to make a carbon neutral pledge of $100 million. And mm -hmm. today they have to go find a $3 million project here, a yeah. $7 million project here, a $12 million exactly. project, just piece the meal them together. Yeah. And then they also don't really have the means to validate that they're progressing, right? Exactly. So Pachamo. Yeah will help with the satellite imagery, the the ML, AI, uh, even drone technology to help yeah. actually verify, hey, this is progressing year to year. You can look online and just see Correct. the progression. of. And the, and the real big vision here is that we have 1 billion <coughs> hectares available for reforestation without competing with agriculture. And we have 3 billion hectares of standing forests that capture tens of gigatons of CO2 of the atmosphere every year. And we're cutting it down. and is this you know, low-hanging fruit, but we need to know where to do it. And we need to make sure that the system is not corrupted, it's not gamed. We, we, we need to assure integrity on the system mm. so that money can go from those who want to compensate their emissions to those who will remove carbon by planting trees or protecting the forest. That's the idea. Right. Now, when I started thinking about it, yes, in fact, I was at the beginning, well, maybe this is a nonprofit. Maybe I had to look for grants because who's going to find I remember when I first <laughs> heard about it, I you was like, I mean? is this one of YC's nonprofit companies? <laughs> I did. And it but really did cross my mind. It was very clear to me that this was a very large uh, economic opportunity, right? Because if we're creating a, a marketplace platform with that unique technological uh, differentiation, this is exactly what Silicon Valley builds. So I, I, I thought, well, no, I'm not going to start a nonprofit. I'm going to start the Silicon Valley technology company. And then, again, I went to speak with Gustav. I remember, you know, writing on a, on a whiteboard and you're telling me like, yeah, this and is what a year is And what year is this? Uh, 2016, I think. And I remember you telling me, oh, by the way, YC is researching. 17, I think. 17, 17 yeah. okay. You told me YC is about to release a call for startups to remove carbon from the atmosphere. And I was like, wow, that's so exciting. And I actually think that the call for startups of YC was a 
big important catalyst for this clean tech. So kudos to you, to Sam Almond and to all the team that work on that proposal because I think that in a way it was the first uh, major investor who called out for carbon and climate uh, solutions. Well, I want, I want to ask where did that call out come from? What was the actual chronology and, and, so, his, and just history of putting that into the request for startups? I had spent, after I joined YC, um, I spent the last couple of years at Airbnb thinking hard about this. Um, and I realized that um, when I realized that the there are so many great things about travel, one of the main downsides of travel is the fact that it is very carbon intensive, especially airplane travel. And I was trying to th- figure out what the Airbnb sh- Airbnb's role, sh- role in this should be. When I came to YC, I was really curious about sort of like, understanding the market and uh, airplane, tra- airplane travel as an example is something that is what people call hard to decarbonize. So I think the way to think about society is there are, um, we're gonna do a lot of work on decarbonization and uh, electric transportation is, is an example, um, sort of like less use of carbon um, in, in agriculture is another example. Manufacturing is a third example. There are many of, many of these examples of things that we have to do. Uh, energy production is obviously a core one. But I got really interested in this thing called carbon removal. And carbon removal, as opposed to decarbonization, is something that we have to do as a society. So, so we, we first of all, we have to decarbonize every industry near to nearly zero emissions. Uh, That's going to take a lot of work. And can you explain decarbonization? It basically means that we remove fossil fuel, fuel from the extraction. We're not going to, at least, fossil fuel that we emit in the air. We're not going to use fossil fuel to do all the things that we do today in society, make energy. We've, so we've it's traveled. to actually remove it from the equation, not remove it at the last mile uh, right, in you, the muffler of the car. Yeah, it. like- like and just I, take it out of the equation. Take it out of the equation. I think it's it's pretty clear that electric cars is, is superior. So that, that one is uh, on a good trajectory, but in airplanes, for example, it is much more trickier. We don't really have a lot of good solutions right now. I can talk about the two electric airplane companies we funded, but there, there's a lot more work to what be- are, What are they? Uh, one of them is called Right Electric, and one of them is called Hard Aerospace. They're starting with sort of like a domestic short, short, short distance or original uh, flights, because that's sort of like what the batteries will allow in the first version to fly across the Atlantic on electric uh, on batteries is pretty far, if ever. Yeah. Um, if we're going to be able to do that, we might have to have a revolutionary innovation in battery technology mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, is it because of the volume of the battery? Yeah, just like the weight, the density to weight ratio is. Of airplane fuel is, yeah. I, I, I might get these numbers wrong, I think it's order, order of like 20 to 40x um, better um, mm. the weight density of of energy than than a, than a lithium-ion battery, which makes airplane fuel a lot better. And if you look at sort of like what have made airplanes more efficient over, over the last couple of years, it's basically making the airplanes lighter because uh, the fuel doesn't get any lighter, but the planes themselves can get lighter and the, and the engines can get better. There And then the other challenge here is you, as you're flying further, you you are you're you're actually burning a lot of fuel, um, and versus you, the batteries stay the same weight the whole time. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so that's an example of of sort of like the decarbonization that we are required to do. There's this other aspect of this called uh, carbon removal, which is basically we find a way to just remove carbon and put it back on the ground somehow, or in, or in force. And I got really interested in this technology called direct air capture, which is effectively a machine of some sort that um, removes the carbon from the uh, atmosphere. And this is very difficult because the amount of carbon CO2 um, in the air that we breathe is actually quite small. And it 
requires a lot of energy to be able to do this. So I got really interested in this in this technology. And what, uh, what year is this? Oh, this is, I don't know, like 2016 maybe. Okay. And trying to figure out everything was going on. There's effectively, at the time, one organization in the world called Carbon Engineering in Canada um, that's doing this. And uh, now there's a lot more, which YC have funded at least one of them. And when I met Diego, it became very clear that there's another machine that's really going to direct our capture called Trees. <laughs> uh, we've known them for a long time. They, uh, we don't have to do a lot of innovation. They already grow. And he had done all the calculation on actually what is the actual impact on, on, on the climate if, if trees is sort of like that, that, that plays a role in removing carbon from the atmosphere. And the impact is enormous. The opportunity to plant trees to remove carbon is, is, is really big and something that we should invest in. Uh, what's really key to understand, it does not help us unless we also decarbonize. Right. It doesn't help us at all. Uh, it's just sort of like, uh, if you look at the graph that the IPCC plan panel had, had drawn on sort of like, what are some scenarios of, of our carbon emissions? Uh, they're basically saying that we need to spend the next 20 years decarbonize the system, and then we spend the next 30 years removing carbon from the atmosphere. And they're, they're sort of like not really saying, oh, all these technologies that we remove carbon are invented. They're saying, in lack of other technologies, maybe trees is one of them, but they are sort of hoping that there will be a bunch of other technologies. And the decarbonization efforts would be things like a Tesla or a lab-grown meat or uh, uh, Impossible Burgers. Or solar and, and, solar and, and, and wind, energy production. Energy production and is probably the, the, the one that we most clearest know how to do it. Uh, transport, we have a good good idea now how to do it for some form of transport, not for, for freights or not for trucks necessarily, not for airplanes, um, but for cars we do. Uh, and, I, and I want to ask about the different area uh, areas of opportunity, but, the, but that would be an example of um, here in a second. But that would be an example of the decarbonization. But then we still have to have we the still have to remove of carbon basically removal. because the heating the heating of the planet isn't instant from from the amount of CO two that we emit. Like it, it has a little bit of a drag. So so even if you stop emitting everything right now, the plan plan for a number of reasons will actually keep heating for a little while, uh, which is even more scarier. We do need to remove CO two. Um, we need to in, invent these technologies to be able to remove CO2 to make it extremely cheap. The cost of, I mean, you know this cost on on on, on afforestation and reforestation, but for, for the machines that currently exist to remove carbon from the atmosphere, the cost has been quoted somewhere between $500 and $1,000 per ton, which if if a normal American emits 20 tons a year, that's that's the hard one to figure out. We got to have, what I was hopeful, when I started reading, reading about this, I was hoping that the, what we saw, so, just to give some history here, the the reason the solar panel is where it is today is three main reasons. It's the subsidies of the German economy of solar panels that we need to install solar. It is the subsidies of the Chinese economy to keep these factories alive and sort of like overproduction that leads to cutting costs. And it's the invention of the financing model for solar. Mm. So we can sort of like resell solar in the future. That led to solar literally <laughs> cutting costs for, I don't know the exact numbers here, but order magnitude, like we're talking about it, like a 50x or 100x mm -hmm. uh, since the beginning of solar. And if that was possible with that technology and no one foresaw, foresaw that when Jimmy Carter installed the solar panels on the White House, no one can imagine that would happen. I think you can see that the same thing could happen with, with carbon removal technologies. Yeah. And if it would be possible to get cheaper than trees, then that would be very good for, for the world. Mm -hmm. We're not anywhere close right now. And what most of the people that are working on carbon removal are doing is trying to make fuel um, because uh, that is a product you can produce. There's 
not that much interest from the world right now to just purely pay someone to remove carbon, not at the price that they're doing. So they're trying to figure out, is there a product we can make from this carbon versus just putting it back on the ground? The truth is that we will we'll have to put a lot of stuff back on the ground to be able to avoid some of the um, worst scenarios in, in, the, in the forecast. And so, in, and then you chatted with with Diego, going back to the RFS, and for listeners, why why Commodore puts out these requests for startups, these RFS uh, lists every once in a while, and it really does stoke an immense amount of entrepreneurial curiosity in these different areas. I'm, I'm really interested in just the actual tactical story of how that came into the list of, was it 10, uh, 10, 10 requests for startups or 10 ideas yeah, in 2017 so the, or something? I think the first one I, I wrote myself and I was like worried that it wouldn't actually make the list because like maybe this one wasn't as important as the other ones we're doing. The carbon offset or the carbon? Uh, it's called carbon removal at time. Okay, and yeah. I was talking about um, direct air capture and, and things like that. And we got a lot of, lot like since that one went in, like, like Diego mentioned, there was... I've not seen more journalists or, or um, getting in touch with YC for for NIRFS or more engineers asking me which companies they should work for, or even investors. They were like, great, sign me up. I want to talk to all the companies you funded. I hadn't funded that many at the time. And then after that, there was a more sort of like more ambitious version of that called that is on carbon.ycomer.com that Sam Altman and Maddie Hall and some other scientists uh, worked on that had just some more kind of like- What's um, the URL again? Uh, carbon.ycombinary.com. Um, these are more so like inspiring ideas of of of, of things that are currently not being worked on that you could you could um, do to have a massive impact. The two technologies there that are missing actually are uh, direct air capture and and reforestation, which uh, for for the carbon removal right now seems to be the things that get most of the attention. And so how, how does, just to give people, listeners a below the line view, how does that list propagate? So you submitted the carbon removal request for startup idea. And, and is it just, it's surveyed from all the different YC partners, hey, just submit whatever ideas you think should belong on this list. How did that list come together? It is Kat Manialik who runs- Shout uh, out Kat, she's awesome. She's a partner at YC uh, and she's in, in charge of our outreach and comments <coughs> and a bunch of things. She's in charge of this list and she's the one that sort of compiles the list. She does reach out to all of us for what are things that you want to see in the list this year and then she compiles it. It's that simple. <laughs> and yours was, was yours the only uh, ecological opportunity area? I don't remember. We've had ones around energy in the past, and we funded um, right, nuclear two energy. nuclear companies. Yeah. Um, and we've had others. These tend to be really big ideas. And, and the way that RFS work is that they inspire people for what to work on. Um, they tell people that if you weren't sure, we actually are actively trying to fund this thing. And it sort of like sends those two signals to the world that that if you're working on this, uh, we'd like to fund you, right. uh, or at least like we would like to to actively look at your application. And it's really hard to say we fund everything because because people don't include their idea in everything. Um, so that's why you have to be specific sometimes and say specifically we fund these things, even though you didn't think we would fund these things. Um, Which and, is phenomenally powerful, yeah. validating a vote of confidence. If Y even if you don't go through Y Combinator, it definitely sends up yeah the signal that this is an area for everyone in yeah. And it happened to co start paying co attention. coincide with exactly when Diego was thinking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. So so when we met, it was it was like we were, I, I I had not expect to meet. I, I didn't know you before. I had not expect me to meet someone who had such advanced sort of thinking around this um, and thought about many of these things. And I learned so much about just uh, reforestation as as a way to do this. And the the amount of work that already exists. So for example, there are 
compliance carbon markets um, in many parts of the world where governments are requiring people to offset uh, for things that they do. Um, and this has been around for some time and haven't had a lot of sort of like startups involved in them, I would say, uh, mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. And then there's a voluntary market, which is sort of like what I knew about, which is that people voluntarily offset some of their mission. And, and, and that's sort of what we've seen today with Microsoft and, and some of the other companies. Yeah, as I hear you all talk, I feel like the uh, the why now of why this is so in vogue and and so interesting for so many people, not just uh, just kind of like jumping on the bandwagon, but genuinely hitting an inflection point. It feels like it's there's the the decades of government subsidization kind of proving out that uh, something like Tesla proving out, hey, this and it, and it seems like a equation. Please correct me where I'm I'm an idiot on this, but. Uh, it seems like it is an equation uh, with multiple parts, that part being essential, uh, solar panels, um, and uh, you said Germany and, and China, so a heavy subsidization that gives kind of a foothold. can seem like a drop in the bucket for consumer behavior to change, but it has been massive for the consumer, I guess, resonance for something like Tesla, then for those two things to marry, the company producing, the consumers demanding, and have this massive success that then, you know, it's it seems like a third aspect is this uh, not to extol like individual exceptionalism because you need these backdrops of these other two things. But then you have these companies like Tesla that for all intents and purposes comes out of nowhere and in the last 15 years, last 12 years, and just shows this massive financial opportunity for the rest of the world or shit it could just be a thousand entrepreneurs and a thousand investors it doesn't need to be the whole world starts to take this more seriously and and the equation seems to intertwine those three um does that sound like a, a, a kind of perfect storm that as i hear you all talk that's that's happening right now yeah, I would say that also uh, public awareness is right. A, is the gestation huge, of yeah, public awareness I mean, for that consumer. Yeah, you know, I like to say uh, one insight that Yuval Harari speaks on his book *Sapiens*, which is that companies don't exist and governments don't exist. It's just a group of people, uh, you know, right. coordinating and having a collective imagination about an idea called a company or an or, or a government. Right. So if people which make countries and companies and other organizations all of a sudden care about the topic, then you start to influence and change the behavior of the organization itself, right? Mm -hmm. So when a Fortune 500 company announces that it's going to be carbon neutral, spending billions of dollars on it, like Delta, for example, recently, that's just individuals inside of that company that say, hey, we should do something about climate change, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, a tipping point on public awareness is an essential part of the puzzle. And I think it's something that investors are seeing, oh, wow, this is, it might be already at the tipping point in which this is going to change uh, corporate behavior, government behavior, and consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. And and that is super important for, you know, uh, an economic transformation. Well, I want to ask about the different, the different areas of opportunity that we've chatted about. There's agriculture, transportation, energy production. And, and I want to ask about those, but real quick, Diego, you did touch on that personal side of building something that most people thought were nonprofits. And I'm not joking. When I first saw it, I was like, oh, this must be one of YC's nonprofits. This is really cool. And I love the nonprofits that YC funds. I did, uh, helped sure. with the uh, basic income one quite a bit. But but what was your personal journey like trying to tell people, no, this is a, a financial opportunity as well. And, and, and navigating that before the, the term climate tech existed. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think it was showing uh, the orders of magnitude of, uh, okay, what happens if X percentage of Fortune 500 companies do decide to go carbon neutral, offset their emissions, and then that money actually has to go to carbon removal. The only effective and you know economically viable solution we have is nature-based solutions, reforestation, afforestation. Uh, what happens if that money has to go through a platform, right? What, what, what are the numbers, right? And we're talking about a very large nonprofit, if it was a nonprofit. I got to say also, uh, Charity Water, which is a nonprofit, and I'm a good friend with Scott Harris, and yeah, he's Scott an awesome guy. If Charity Water was a company, it could be a public company yeah. in terms of the, the amount of oh, money God, they drive yeah. to, to water, right? That's right. And, and, it, and I think they, and they're one of the best examples of a nonprofit that is run like a for-profit. They're very... Right very focused exactly. on the efficacy of every one of their efforts yeah. that it's it is i think the last time i saw my wife is a is um a big advocate and donor there and and yeah i think they in their 10 10 years in and they've given water to six percent of the world that didn't have it's it before which is insane yeah and the people that were that were clamoring around about taking climate change more seriously you have President Carter, I, I didn't even know that. He put, put solar, panels solar panels on the White House and then the following president uh, took them down, actually. Oh, God. Uh, they were extremely inefficient and, and uh, expensive at the time. But mm. but um, I think it's an example of like not being able to foresee what was going to happen in right. that space and, and the, the amount of innovation that actually came. Well, and, and you have, you know, two decades ago when this started to become more of a mainstream issue, it, it actually is fascinatingly fast how quickly our collective consciousness can can yeah. change around these things um so but keep, yeah keep no, going. To the, the funny thing i would say is that i actually think uh and i hope that pachama becomes an example of this that in the 21st century there's going to emerge this new type of company that i like to call them for purpose companies companies are for profit but are actually driven for, by a purpose the purpose is to you know make the, the world a better place for real it's actually to realign uh, the economy with nature is to, you know, develop on the sustainable development goals of the United Nations, if you want. And these are going to be the massive companies of the 21st century. That's a thesis I, I have, that. right? And uh, so it's, it's a new animal. It's not a corporation, as you would think, and it's not a nonprofit. It's something in between. It makes profits. It delivers great returns to investors. It pays good salaries as a Silicon Valley tech company, but it's actually driven by a purpose. Mm -hmm. I love that for purpose. Okay, I want to round this out with uh, two last questions, one of which is, what's the landscape look like? What are the areas of opportunities for entrepreneurs, leaders, creatives, investors to think about when it comes to this burgeoning term climate tech? What are the ones that come to mind? We talked about agriculture. What are some of the others? There's many ways to think about this, but one way to think about it is sort of like, what are the big sources of emissions? And what are the innovations that you can foresee there? And I'll give you I'll give some I'll give you some examples of, of areas, and then I'll give you some examples of companies. So transportation we mentioned. So there's multiple types of transportation, uh, and there are lots of things we need to do to to fix that. And there the type of innovations there could be um, electrifying the transportation fleet, the car fleet, for example. Another area of innovation could be coming up with a carbon neutral fuel 
that actually doesn't emit carbon. <laughs> I mean, emit carbon, but it also removes carbon, for example. And there are a couple of companies in there. And carbon. What are, what are some of those examples that come So, up? carbon engineering is one that Bill Gates has funded in Canada. And then there's Prometheus Fuels that actually were in your batch, Diego, uh, that YC have funded that is based in Santa Cruz. And there's a great article in Science, um, the magazine Science, about them, uh, which talks about how they do it. But they're effectively pulling CO2 out of the, out of the air using so solar, that's oh, yeah. the energy production. And then they make fuel that your current car will run on. That's Prometheus fuels. Prometheus fuels, and uh, that's sort of like a different way of viewing it. Now I can see how airplanes will adopt this right away. I can see how sort of like trucking will adopt this right away to some extent. Does that make electric cars um, sort of like irrelevant? No, it doesn't because they're actually, like we said before, a potentially better, better product than 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 combustion engineering driven cars. So that's transportation. There is. A lot to do in constructions uh, and homes. Um, so another example there is, is Nest. So Nest is uh, actually a software product. I mean, it's a, it's a hardware product, but the opportunities on the software side is enormous. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I saw some number, number of Americans actually have one of these one now, and it's massive. And it's one of those things where uh, we emit a lot of carbon by heating our homes and they're the dumbest machine in the home. Right. <laughs> like our remote control is smarter than, than sort of like our normal thermostat. And spend 40 hours a week at work and you're out of the home and it just keeps it nice 72 degrees the entire time for no reason. Exactly. And not only that, I mean, if you had um, a home that was heated by electricity, which is actually the case in other parts of the world, then a thermostat can be connected to the grid and make the whole grid smarter because now you have demand response. And then there's a bunch of things here. Like I'm not necessarily, yeah. these are not necessarily right. things that I would I'll go and build right now, but like there are lots of sort of like ideas that if you connect these dumb systems around energy to the internet effectively or to the rest of us, then you can make them really smart and you can apply software in a way that, that sort of like uh, can drive big improvements. What about construction? So Diego mentioned this earlier, like the production of cement is a huge source of CO2. Uh, really? Yes, yes. And and um, there's been some attempts in trying to produce carbon neutral CO2, carbon neutral um, cement. cement. But in general, construction materials is something that we have not yet really addressed very much. And construction is notoriously slow to change mm. and it's notoriously sort of like manual um, and non, it's not a quick changing industry. Um, so I think there's there's things to do there uh, for sure. Air conditioning of buildings. Air conditioning is, is, is another one, uh, HVAC systems. And then we talked about food production. And mm. in food production, a lot of the reasons why there's a lot of CO2 emissions in food production is because of the use of animal. Animals need space and animals are not very efficient at producing the thing that we want. And almost all the companies that are alternatives to that production are technology and sort of science-based companies. They're, they're either using science to invent a plant-based alternative or actually the real thing. And there are lots of companies that I wish you can talk more about that are applying science, science to producing the real thing and right. doing it in a far more efficient way. And to some extent, in many of the things we talk about here, these are commodities like cow milk or cow beef. These are not branded things necessarily that we care too much about which specific place they come from or which specific brand. Right, you only, you only know this the place because of the yeah. You uh, just buy it because the perceives local. yeah. There's like there's a local local, local producer cost. of right. cheese, milk, beef, blah blah in your area, and that's what we buy. Uh, we don't really care too much a brand like actually Beyond and Impossible are two of the first real brands in in sort of like something that's trying to compete with meat. 
Uh, I, I think you'll see more as more of these companies come to market. Um, there's one that we funded called Eclipse Foods that I can talk about. So cool. Which is a, yeah, a plant-based ice cream um, that tastes just like the amazing. ice cream. Amazing. Tastes yeah. amazing. Shout yeah. out to, uh, to Elon. Is it Elon or Elon? Elon, yeah. Elon. Thomas, yeah. Yeah, and shout out to, to Elon because, yeah, Eclipse tastes, no one would be able to tell the difference. And, and there's a lot more companies in that space. It was a scrambled egg. One, there's, right? there's there's just um that it has as make, making scrambled eggs plant-based wow. uh, and there's a number of companies that i wish i could talk to talk about yeah. that i can't um memphis meats is the one that is publicly publicly going to announce lab-grown um meat soon um so what i'm trying to get to is that cows are not going to get any more efficient mm. than what they do and all of these companies are going to get better they're going to mm -hmm. get cheaper they're going to taste better they're going to be more efficient and all of those things to continue that innovation cycle doesn't stop just because you launch your product. So I'm pretty convinced that as long as we get the, the bodies that gives licenses and so like approval um, here on our side, then there'll be enormous opportunities for these companies to reach very, very large markets. Like the plant-based milk market, the almond milk and soy milk are already 15, 20% of the market. That happened relatively quickly, but the world market of all of these products is very large. So from a, from a, from if, if you're a scientist, listen to this. Like these are actually quite interesting things, sort of like areas to look at and see what can I do there. We funded a company in Singapore called Shiok Meats. They're making uh, lab-grown shrimps and lab-grown crab meat, uh, which you would think is like a natural, healthy food. They're not. The the, the way that that typical shrimp is produced uh, in a in a fish farm um, with the amount of an antibiotics is bad for us and bad for bad for shrimp and bad for nature. Right. And there's a way you can sort of like remove the shrimp from the from the equation by doing this in the lab, not really spewing anything out of the nature and then have it completely sort of like pesticides and sort of like other pro products, free shrimp that you can just sell in the market. Yeah, like five years ago, I feel like you you had mentioned uh, an idea like lab-grown meats to someone and they would freak out. But now we're so- we're so close. We're, we're close and it's so, uh, I'd say freak out because they would be scared, but now we're so well informed of how much shit is in our current meat mm, yeah. it is it is not like the lab modified or lab invented meat is going to be that great it you know people are still going to it's going to take 10 years for people to get over that or get used to it i i imagine and for it to go super mainstream but the two thoughts are one the more informed we are of how awful a space restricted cattle cow actually is is even for the person consuming yeah. it obviously awful for for the cattle but then you also add in scale up the information that we all have but then you also add in the fact that it's superior then it's just out of pure self-interest this is the best tasting meat you could possibly get for you know 10 cents a pound versus uh wagyu beef from japan that's you know a thousand bucks and and it's just it's superior back to your your observation of you know just you buy a tesla if you want to go three so, so someone who wants to get into the space uh, i would encourage them to um, like Diego did, like read the reports from the UN. What are the big emission sources? Like just learn the data and then buy the book, The Draw Drawdown, which actually goes through a number of ideas of things that you can start, start building. Uh, and it's not all about energy production. That is like, sure, one big piece of it, but people kind of think of energy production and climate change. Sure, that is one of the primary sources, but that's not the only thing. And there are a lot of areas that are not being funded right now. I think in, in the one thing you need to know about sort of like how new products get to market is not just necessarily a product innovation. Sometimes there are financing uh, or sort of like market business model innovations. So I think the, the home solar is the prime example, like the rooftop solar is the prime example of the main thing that changed there wasn't necessarily technology. 
that wasn't mentioned the change, but the, the the business model through which you get that on your roof at zero down money is like no money down mm-hmm. is actually the business model that drove the rooftop solar how do, change. How does it work? Do you mind walking through? So I believe it was San Edison and the, the couple of people back, I don't know how long ago, this is where they came up with this idea called the PPA, the Power Purchase Agreement, which basically say, I can put solar panels on your rooftop. You promise to buy the energy from me um, for the next 10 years at this 30% lower price. Um, but you can't switch it out as long as this is happening. And that means I have now a 10-year uh, power purchase agreement with you, mm. which actually is enough of a profit for me to be able to now actually do have a good business model around install panels on your roof. And then I take that and I sell that to some investor and say, hey, here's a 10-year uh, return on investment on the, on the panels. The reason they had to do that is because in the beginning, the panels costed $20,000 or $30,000 to put in your roof. And most people are like, well, my electricity bill is $200 a month. Right. Why would I prepay this much money to put stuff on my roof even if it was a good idea? Mm. So that's sort of like one example of that. But again, non, like- Non-obvious innovation. It's a non-obvious not- innovation. The, the, the other thing is sort of like is energy, energy again, is a, is a commodity. Why it's so exciting is that when the prices come down, you just win. <laughs> The moment that you have beaten the fossil, the the, the prices of, of new uh, fossil fuel production, then th- there's a problem in storage in, in energy production. But but besides that that point, basically new production does not go into things that are not profitable. So you're not going to produce, make a new coal plant or even gas gas plant if that is not going to be profitable. And solar and wind is is the the way to go. Uh, and that is starting to happen in countries after countries after countries where all the new productions is now. Okay, not all, but like 70, 80% of new production is going to these new sources. There's some opportunities for engineers, software engineers in, in managing that. I'm speaking, yeah, speak, speaking a lot here, but- No, 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 but, please, um, no, keep going. This I think this is one of the most powerful parts of the episode is hearing about the different areas. So please- Yeah, white combinator partner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so this is, please take 20 straight minutes. This the ch- is the challenge, one of the challenges of solar is, is when you have too much solar, then you don't- each additional solar is not very profitable because everyone's selling solar at the same time of the day. But at eight o'clock at night, then there is no, the, the energy price goes up because the solar plants doesn't produce anymore. If you combine that with some wind, then you have some sort of offsetting of, of the production. If combined that with something like hydro, that would be, that's actually a great combination, but much part of the world doesn't have any hydro. So you need something else to be able to, to balance up the grid. And what about nuclear? So nuclear is good. This is the base power. Nuclear is falling into that category that might be too expensive to build uh, of new new production compared to solar. So I am hugely in favor of, of nuclear, but the current technologies um, that exist today it might just be too expensive. And you need a really big financier. And in the past, it's been governments typically that will take the risk and sort of take much of the financing risk for this to work. So that's why YCF funded two companies that work on that, um, that sort of um, Helion and Oaklo that sort of like trying to get um, small scale nuclear to work and, and make it a lot cheaper. The other thing is sort of like, can you tie in the consumption somehow? Uh, can you tie, building this in the entire system of the, the electric car battery you have at home, making that charging smarter. Um, like we might end up having a huge battery in our garage starting in a couple of years, all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, tying that back into sort of like the grid, uh, tying each of the machinery that we have, so we don't have to think about it. Like maybe these machines are sort of like on the on autopilot that just sort of like adapts to the performance of the grid. And there's some things we do it sometimes, and some things that we don't. The alternative to doing this is sort of that we radically invent a new storage technology. And battery storage right now is really expensive. It is being paired with solar in some some cases, and that becomes a really good idea. But we don't have a ton of other 
sort of like current profitable technologies in storage that would that would sort of like combining that with solar would would solve the problem. We're we're still a bit further away from that. Would that be in the list of requests for startups for absolutely? The and like the, the, here's the, here's the here's the thing that the beauty of entrepreneurship is that we think we sit here and and um, especially when you make forecasts of looking at the past and looking at the future, you're gonna be like, well, this isn't gonna work because no one the storage thing is unsolvable, and it is unsolvable until someone solves it, and there will be this founder who who will come around and be like, I figured it out, I made something, and it is now solving exactly the problem that you have, and then the market changes again. So I think to being too dogmatic of saying like, oh, these things will never change or sort of like solar is dead because we don't have storage is, is not dead, but solar is cat tapped out because we don't have storage is sort of like unimagining the, the creativity of individuals when they come up with new solutions. And I think that's the danger of being too prescriptive of saying like, build, build in this specific area, this specific niche. Um, no, think broadly, learn the data, learn the emission sources and take your sort of creativity as a founder and see what can you do about this? Because you people have so many ideas that we could not think of. And I think you'd bet you that lab-grown meat is not a very old idea. Lab-grown meat is very new. Right. Like 2013 is sort of like the first time the burger was announced. And now it seems like where this is going to be an obvious thing that will happen, but that's only seven years ago. Right. And you could imaginatively fast forward 10 years where everyone's, or not everyone, but it's very easy to be a vegan. That's still eating cheeseburgers and eating steak, yeah. but it's lab grown and is driving a, an electric car by not even owning a car, but using Uber that has a Tesla or electric selection. And you're, you just have that on default and you're, you know, you're never charging your car yourself. You're never storing a car yourself. And that seems like a snap of the fingers. And obviously 10 years is a long time. Yeah. A lot more can happen than what we could just sit here and yeah. imagine for 30 seconds. So we've mentioned agriculture, we've mentioned transportation, we've mentioned homes and construction, uh, we've talked about energy production. Are there any others that we that we haven't covered? And then we're going to go into your favorite companies within this space. Yeah, I'm going to mention one in particular, and then I, uh, an exercise that I did when I was coming up with my own idea. Uh, another one is finance. I think that we need to redesign the financial system to incentivize the right things uh, in front of uh, climate crisis, right? So I think a blockchain maybe has a place there and you know, basically redesigning Wall Street, redesigning the way that, uh, that, you know, that individuals and corporations are incentivized to do something with their wealth that is actually aligned with a decarbonized economy. Lots, lots of things to do there. In, in general, I, I also think that- Incentivize, but also maybe even tie into the the negative externality costs of a business that you run. Yeah. That you're accruing exactly. all of the, you're exactly. capturing all of the value, but you're you're putting out a negative externality that, you know, the canonical canonical example is the, the manufacturing plant that then puts their yeah. pollution into the stream that goes down the river to the village. And, yeah. and there's so many- Using that as a metaphor, there's so many businesses that operate today that capture all the value yeah. and you and I pay the price. Yeah. And I, I'm a guy from Texas, never grew up thinking about these things, but it really only takes a few minutes of an education of this example or that example before you realize, whoa, we're collectively paying the cost for yeah. uh, for handful of business practices that only a few businesses are actually value, you know, capturing value of. 
yeah, so in that economic transformation that is going to be required, there is a lot of startup ideas to be built around it. Uh, in fact, you know, long-term stock exchange, Eric Ries was yes. here in, yeah. in the podcast. Another portfolio company. Awesome. You, yeah, you wouldn't think of it as a climate tech company, but maybe incentivizing long-term thinking on investors will make a climate consideration oh, wow. on, on shares investments uh, a thing, right? So interesting. Anyway, so I think finance is, is a place to, to pay attention. I'm very bullish there about decentralization and blockchain, of course. In general, I also uh, now thinking from the technology forward, yeah. uh, I think that artificial intelligence, machine learning is gonna has the potential of transforming every vertical of the economy, making the use of resources more efficient, the use of energy more efficient, the way that we move atoms and electrons around the world more efficient so that we can actually decarbonize faster. Can right? you walk me through a specific example of where this could be applied? Well, I mean, if you think about the shipping industry, right, the way that we move goods around the world, I'm sure I haven't paid a lot of attention, but I'm sure that we can be 30% more efficient if we have an AI planning routes, right? Same, same can be true about airplanes, right? Incorporating uh, weather patterns. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, agriculture, you know, the way that what do we plant where if we had an AI making those decisions, but humans in a global way instead of a local way. I'm sure yeah. that we could save up 30% of the of the energy used to produce that 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 food, and using probably a lot less land. Informing well. us where the reforestation projects could be exactly. most applicable. Yeah, exactly. So if, if imagine if you were running the, the the planet with an AI informed system in which you you decide you know how to best use the resources. I think you know right. definitely we, we we could have a a more energy efficient um, and resource efficient economy. Yeah, you could even, oh man, yeah, you could even have a, a phone that the AI is dissecting. All right, we're gonna actually use these parts from this part of the country or this part of the yeah. world rather than these because of the cost savings and these bing, are, bang, bong, you have a phone that's that's one-tenth the price yeah. and uh, to produce. These are optimizations and, that require so much data cranking that in no human being could ever solve or no group of humans. Right. But now we have machine learning, you know, that's, you know, the tool, I think, that can, you know, take us out of this of this mess, you know. It's interesting. Uh, another exercise that I like to do when I was thinking of ideas for my for my startup was imagining a planet in the 22nd century that has already tackled climate change and has built a sustainable circular economy. How would that look like, right? And start you know, doing this you know, imaginary exercise of what, you know, how people live, how people consume, you know, how people move around, and then reverse engineer what were the companies that got us there, right? And from no. there, you, you can get you know, startup ideas, you know? That's something that we used to, we used to do a lot in the 70s, I think. Um, you, know, you had people like uh, Mr. Fuller, Jack Fresno, Ernest Kallenbach, you know, these positive science fiction thinkers that will come up with these wonderful views of the future, right? The 22nd century. They will imagine these societies that were so aligned with nature in which everybody live, you know, in, in, in this balance between technology and the planet. We don't do that anymore. All the science fiction movies are dystopic. You know, dystopic and, yeah. You know? So I encourage founders and and creators that are listening to this to let's imagine together how a twenty first a twenty second century could look like if everything goes right, and then oh, let's reverse engineer that and and let's start building the pieces together. Yeah. You are very smart, Diego. <laughs> Thank uh, you. I'm glad you allowed me to invest. Um, okay, so rounding this out with the last question, what are some of the companies that that you all being close to the space? 
that uh, that impress you most, that you're excited about the most, the ones that that people, if you're a software engineer, and actually zooming out, what could, if you're a software engineer listening to this, you're a, a designer at Airbnb listening to this, what are some of the things that you can do around these spaces or what are some of the things that you wish would be in their minds after this episode? And then two, uh, what are some of the companies that maybe those folks can apply to go work for because they're, they're the most interesting ones for you all? in contrast to the ones that all of the people listening should go and start? Well, if you work for a big company right now, you don't have to start a new company to to make change. Um, perhaps one of the most important thing you can do is see what is the status of the place you currently work and mm. can you push that company to change? And I think Airbnb right now is in the amazing position to be a leader and and make make some like systematic change and sort of like how how they view sustainable travel. I think there's something really big that they can do there. And if I was in designer at Airbnb, that's probably what I would spend my time on. And I know there's a bunch of people at Airbnb spending their time on that. So that'd be the first thing that I would do. The second thing is I would just, like I said, like go and read the data and go and read the science and try to figure out um, which of these areas do do you need my help? And the truth is that design is a core component of every single one of the consumer products that we buy today. And it doesn't really matter what category they are. And I think Nest is such a great example of like, who knew that it would be exciting to work on design on a thermostat? Well, it turns out that it is like the most beautiful thing we have in our homes. And just the beauty of it is the viral component. That's why we all know about it. Most people don't exactly know how it works in the back end, but we all have seen it and it looks really great. Right. So as a designer, be like, think through the, the, and I think Tesla is known for this too, like think through the use experiences of all these things that are actually making a difference. And sort of like, can you work, go and work on one of those products? Yeah, specifically what, talk about designers. Yeah, what are some of the what are some of the the companies that that have hooked your interest the most? Uh, well, there's some of them I can't talk about unfortunately, but the the um, two two sort of like science related companies that we funded. Uh, one of them is Sologen, hydrogen peroxide, sort of like plant based, and then one of them is C16 Bio that makes sustainable palm oil or sort mm-hmm. of synthetic palm oil. Um, those are more on the science side. What about non-Y Combinator companies? That might be even larger. We mentioned a few. We've mentioned Impossible, Beyond, Memphis, obviously Tesla. The, there are companies that are exciting from, like there's a lot of sort of like electric airplane companies, like electric flying taxis. Now, I'm not sure how big of an impact they'll have on the actual climate because if, that's a new use case. So if you have a, have a car that flies electrically for 30 miles, it only really replaces some car travel. It doesn't really replace any any airplane travel at all. And it might just be sort of like new travel that we previously weren't doing because now it's much faster and cheaper. So those are fantastically exciting products to work on like um, jo- Joby and um, Kitty Hawk. There's a few others. I-, I-, I do think you should think hard about sort of like, does this actually have a direct climate impact right now? Um, people are sometimes fooling themselves thinking that something like that will have direct climate Im- impact when it in fact doesn't. And then on the software side, I mean like, I think Diego's company, Pachama, is a perfect example where there's a really big opportunity that is not happening because the market, mar- the, 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 the players in the market doesn't meet. Um, like, like if you want to offset carbon from the forest that you you own and you're somewhere else in the world and you don't really know how to do it and you don't really know how, how like it costs too much money and you don't really know how to find the buyer, like what Pachama could could do in that scenario is 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 could revolutionize the whole 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 space. Kind of like having a back house and renting it out on Airbnb. You yeah, previously didn't have an easy way to monetize it. Really good example. And yeah, and I, I think uh, that yeah. that's why Pachama is such a good example because it's a software product 
almost all you guys are engineers. And for listeners that you know, having Diego on here uh, because he's a as a portfolio company is really I don't know uh, that's great uh, and that's how we know each other. But uh, 99.99999% of the the thinking is just Diego <laughs> and Gustav are two of the smartest people in this space. Um, and and to exactly your your point, Gustav, it's uh, the software engineer at uh, at big company X can say, hey, let's start actually participating in carbon offset projects. And there's something like Pachama that now exists. Or I hadn't even thought about that. Someone that just has land in whether it's the Amazon or maybe you fast forward not in the not too distant future. And it's like you have land in Northern California and you can actually put up something to offset carbon emissions and either Pachama or another company in this space. You can monetize um, you know, prior or previously unutilized. Yeah, something similar there I would mention is in regenerative agriculture is a practice that can capture carbon. What does that say one more time? Agriculture. Um, The way that you do agriculture, you know, non-tilling, what type of, you know, uh, pesticides and uh, fertilizers you use change the the amount of carbon that the crops capture. I'm not an expert on the the, the area. There are two companies similar to Pachama. One is called Nori, another is called uh, Indigo that are focusing on that. And that's an important part as well. Yeah, I've heard awesome things about indigo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oceans also capture a lot of carbon, and we can restore the oceans, coral reefs, kelp forests. I've heard uh, a lot about oceans. Uh, there's a company in called my Open, life. Open I've, Oceans. I've there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a company called Open Ocean that's working on that. Um, cool. And yeah, and then another thing that is needed is you know companies and individuals and governments need to be able to do good carbon accounting. Know what is their footprint. Know what are the opportunities for decarbonization. Mm. And you know reduction of emissions, and then knowing what do they have to offset if they decide to offset. And there are two companies. One is a YC company, Sinai Technology. Maria, awesome founder. How do you pronounce uh, it? Sinai. Uh, Sinai. S I N I A. A I. Yeah. Uh, and then Watershed. Watershed. Climate. I'm gonna take the time to list down all list all yeah. of these companies in the show notes uh, um, for for listeners. Okay. Yeah. Which are you know also you know two former Stripe guys. Three, three former Stripe guys, awesome, awesome founders too. What's that one called? Uh, Watershed Climate. Also in the consumer offsetting uh, side, you know, people are starting to be interested in offsetting their flight to London, right? Uh, there is a YC company called Rand Project Rand. There is a company called Joro, another company called Living Green. So all these are, you know, cool software startups that are mm-hmm. starting to build the pieces so that companies and individuals uh, measure and can act on their carbon emissions. Awesome. I think I think uh, the, the the finance category here is interesting. So most of us have some sort of money in markets somewhere, and when we talk about big universities and endowments should divest. We as individuals should divest, but how do I divest my 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 four hundred one k? That's not easy to understand. But I do think that there's a really big opportunity there. To I mean, the thing you might not know is J P Morgan is one of the largest funder of sort of like fossil fuel production in the world. And they're not divesting right now, and that's and yet they're clamoring. I think well, that might be the credit card that, you, that you're paying for every every day. So right. so so um, to put pressure, which on is the- ironic because their economists also just said last week that it's uh, it is as dire of a crisis as yeah as humans can be, and that's J.P. Morgan. So 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 I think there's, there's there's an opportunity. So 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 what's happening? And this is what go back to Sweden. What's happening in Sweden is basically you have probably fifty percent of the population willing to take individual action right now. There just isn't that much action you can take. Maybe you don't you can't afford an electric car right now because the, there isn't that many options yet. The Tesla is really expensive there. 
maybe in, in finance, there isn't, you don't really know what to do. So there is, a, what RAN is doing, for example, is they're taking uh, advantage of the fact that individuals want to make, make a change, but they don't really know exactly what to do. But I bet you that if you um, help me understand, uh, help me divest in my general financial interest, that there will be a market for that. Yeah. They're just help me understand yeah, my own accounting. Yeah. Of, yeah. And like, yeah. like if, if, if you think of it, like, it's, it's hard to like go from like sort of like the, the high level to the specific here, but the high level is basically we have, we're emitting too many tons of carbon and companies and individuals are part of that. Companies and individuals are going to have to start accounting for how much they're, 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 they're emitting and there's software being built and sold right now to help companies with that accounting. And then once we have done that, we're going to have to reduce it. And that's the other technologies come in and, and help companies to reduce it. They'll be like, we need electric um, delivery trucks. We need, we need sort of like nests in all, all of our warehouses and sort of like examples like that. And then for, the, for, for things that we can't right now, we might have to offset. Um, I think it's, it's dangerous for companies to start with offsetting as the, the primary way of doing it because sort of like it leads to inaction and makes them actually not take a lot of responsibility, but it is necessary uh, as well. And um, and that's why sort of companies should try to do both. Um, but just like getting an understanding for what are the options, I think that's sort of like pushes, pushes the envelope. And we can use our consumer power to understand what companies we should be supporting. And I think there is there is um, uh, a nonprofit right now, then we'll put the name in, in show notes, mm -hmm. um, but I'm forgetting that is sort of like actively trying to to do this, to understand which, which brands are actually carbon neutral. Uh, and there's sort of like an opportunity to really understand this as a consumer, I think. Well, this episode, I, th I hope, is is helpful in that regard because I think it's this entire space, I've learned so much during this uh, these conversation, this conversation, and in our previous ones, uh, Diego, that it's it has opened my mind and my my eyes in in massive ways. I think it's it's so cool to watch this happen in real time. The amount of innovation that's going in this direction, and and, and by hopeful. the way, just to to one one more thing on the carbon accounting, please. We know that a carbon tax is effective. It's not the only tool that's needed. If that was the only tool, then Sweden was would be the number one place right now for innovation. Um, but we're not, but we have the highest carbon tax in the world, but we don't have the highest amount of innovation. So carbon tax alone is not enough. You need a bunch of other things too. Um, but carbon tax is going to happen uh, in many parts of the world and companies are gonna have to account for the carbon in order to know how much to pay. So as a starting point, it is really important that we know exactly how much um, carbon each company is, is, is emitting um, because it sort of will be required. It's sort of like, just like growth, which is the world that I come from, growth accounting was the concept that allowed you to understand what flows in and out of the company in terms of users. And if you start taking accounting for that and sort of like count it, then you know what to do better. The same we do with money. Now carbon is going to be the next one that companies are sort of required and forced to do because we're going to have to pay taxes eventually yeah. on the emissions that is happening, which is from a point of view of a, a founder and a software engineer, this is a really big opportunity. Another company there, uh, Clarity.ai, uh, Rebecca, awesome founder too. They're basically making it easy for investors to invest in the companies that are taking climate into consideration. Uh, awesome. Yeah, it's like a Bloomberg for climate if you want. Well, what are the parting thoughts for listeners? And Gustav, you can go first. Either resources for people to find out more. Maybe there's the the URL, the carbon dot, is it carbon dot Y Combinator? Uh, I, I would probably go and look at the book Drawdown, which okay. I found really, and go to the website of Drawdown. I think they have many of the examples of things. There's sort of like a long list of idea that they have 
they're sort of like like done the math and sort of like how impactful each of the idea can awesome. be. Uh, and they don't really have exactly what to build from it, but they have the ideas. Um, so that's a good place to start um, as as an as an individual. I will learn the science. So the science is publicly available and like in, in re- pretty easy to read format. And then I would be optimistic. Like like the way that that this does not work out is for you to start telling everyone how how and judging everyone in your life on how bad of a decision that they're making in their life. That is not at all how this will get get solved or changed. I just fundamentally believe that that's the wrong approach. And 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 I think the way you should think about it is most of the solutions will be technology. The pressure on technology to happen will be policy. So you can help in one of those two areas. And and there's probably car- many, many, many careers being built in those two areas right now, lifetime careers. And then you have to feel optimistic that this these these two things can actually make the difference. And I'm 100% convinced that this will make the difference and this will actually will what will change um, sort of like the direction we're on right now um, forever. I think there's a good chance that this would be the peak carbon emission year uh, or last year was the peak and then, then this this will be flat or, or below for, for a number of reasons. And I'd say one of the biggest ones being uh, troves and troves of optimists the last few years, the last few decades mm-hmm. saying yeah. this is possible, this is possible. And, and, I, and I think it. you need to have that in the, the mindset. <clears throat> it is easy to be scared and easy to sort of like- Be resentful or- Yeah, yeah. and sort of like blame this on, on on big corporations and blame this on on left and right, but th- those are not solutions. Um, the solu- solutions are things that you have to Kind of take on yourself, and um, we should not underestimate how impactful entrepreneurship and corporations can be in making this change. And and that is the society we live in. And if Tesla is a corporation, and Tesla is now pushing the entire auto industry in the direction that we want, so so I think it's it's pretty clear that those are the tools that exist. And go where there is change, and go where there is growth. There's always been good career career advice to someone. And this is change and this is growth. So so that is what I would do. That's great. Diego? Yeah, I mean, I second all that. And Sweden produce Greta and produce you, man. We need more, uh, <laughs> yeah. more exports from Sweden. I would say, yes, optimism is super important. We can definitely solve this. Uh, and we can become the generation that actually solved one of the biggest challenges of uh, humanity. How inspiring is that? And I also got to tell you that Having built two companies that didn't have, you know, big missions or big purposes, it's just awesome to wake up every morning knowing that I'm working on something so important, so beyond myself. Uh, so I encourage all founders, just you know, as you said, selfishly, you know, uh, if you want to be happier, you know, come work on solving climate change, come work on uh, redesigning civilization for a balanced future with nature, and. Same to investors, you know, what better uh, way to feel about investing than investing in companies that are making the world truly a better place. Uh, so yes, we need more investors, more entrepreneurs, more talented engineers, scientists, and creators, designers, artists to come and join the cause. Yeah, we can do it. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Thank you so much, Gustav, Diego. Thank you for the time and really appreciate the insight shared today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Hey, friends and listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to hear more of these types of conversations, go over to your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe or leave us a review. Good or bad, we love hearing from people that that appreciate this type of conversation and want more of it. You can also follow us on Twitter at GoBelowTheLine. 
as well as see in our Twitter bio our email address for you to shoot us a note on any suggestions of guests or topics that we should cover. We read every single one, so thank you for those that have already sent those in. That's it for us today. We will see you next time on Below the Line. Below the Line is brought to you by Straight Up Podcasts.